This is Rugga Matrix America. Welcome, everybody, to the show. This is show number 79, and it's Alex Goff, editor-in-chief of RugbyMag.com. And we will be bringing in Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean in for the show. And just uh, um, got a bunch of different things that uh, we're excited about. We're going to be talking about the Wellington Sevens a little bit later on uh, with a, a, a quick interview with Al Caravelli. We will be talking to Marty Bradley about conference play in Division One college rugby. And before we get into that, we will be taking a short break and coming right back with captain of BYU men's rugby team, Ryan Roundy. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. Okay, we are back, and this is Alex Goff from RugbyMac.com, and you're listening to Rugby Matrix America. We've got Bruce McLean and Pat Clifton, of course, with us, and the BYU captain and number eight, Ryan Roundy. And thanks for uh, joining us, Ryan. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show today. Well, it's great to have you on. And Ryan, you know, we, we actually we just bumped into each other in in Seattle after you. Uh, uh, went into tour and play three games there. But before that, the last time I saw you was down in Palo Alto uh, playing for the All-Americans. And it was the third game of that series with the All-Americans. And uh, um, when you were playing for the team, All-Americans were winning, looked like in pretty good control of the game. Defense was very solid. And then you had a very nasty break in your leg and uh, had to be taken off, and and uh, the, the New Zealand under-21s ended up coming back and winning that match. And, and I think your loss was, was a significant factor in that, um, not to run anyone else down who came on for you, but uh, you were having a good game. Um, nasty injury, you were out for a while, you are back playing, you are back captaining BYU. Uh, tell us a little bit about that injury and coming back from it. Well, you know, it was my, it was my first, I guess you could say, major injury. I've kind of through the years, you know, I've those dings and bruises and stuff, but this is my first major injury. And so coming back, you know, it was, it was, it was tougher than I thought it would be, to be honest. Um, I had had some Achilles problems and stuff the year before, and, you know, coming back, I ended up getting tendonitis in my Achilles, you know, and it just ended up causing more problems. But, um, you know, I've been working with my trainers and doing a lot of, you know, physical therapy, putting in the training and you know, putting in the time to make sure it's, you know, it's, it's better. And I'm feeling great right now. I guess really the only thing I think is still holding back a little bit. I don't think those gets fast um, twitch fibers are completely back. I don't really feel like I'm completely getting up to full speed yet. But, I mean, it feels great. It feels strong. Um, definitely glad to be back on the field again. So, just, uh, you know, we're going to put in a little bit more work now, you know, run a few more sprints and, Hopefully get those fast switch fibers back so I can so I can get up yeah, to full speed. That's what I was thinking. That was what I was thinking when you were running all over the Central Washington guys. Is that your fast twitch muscles left a lot to be desired? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. exactly what came to my mind. <laughs> Ryan, you guys BYU, you kind of like um, you know Cal or a couple other teams. You play a one season game. Uh, you know, you, could you imagine what it would be like if you had to hop right into league play and start playing 15s immediately once you got back in in August? And how would that have affected, you know, your injury? 
Um, yeah, yeah, you know, that would definitely, um, that definitely would have been, you know, it would have been tough. I think the, you know, I guess the, it was, I guess you'd say it was good timing for when, I mean, when it happened. I mean, I had plenty of, uh, plenty of time, off time, you know, to recover and to put in the time um, to make sure that I was, you know, I was, it was close to 100%, you know, coming back. But, um, you know, if I, was, if I would have had to, you know, hop back right into it and play, you know, a season, that would have been tough. So the time off has been great for me, that's for sure. Ryan, well, I was just wondering if it, uh, on th- Thanksgiving, when you go home, is it is it better to say that you beat Utah or is it better to say that you beat your brother? Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, uh, the dinner, <laughs> the dinner conversations are always, they're always entertaining, you know, um, after the game. Um, sometimes, you know, I don't end up going home. Sometimes I go home afterwards. Um, but you know what, <laughs> cause uh, we have a split family, of course. And so, you know, one side is, you know, hardcore BYU fans, the other side is hardcore Utah fans. And so, you know, we don't end up talking much about the, uh, much about the game, and of course, you know, I'd love to play for, I'd love to play for my brother. It'd be a great experience, but I think it's definitely better. You know, it's better to say that I beat Utah rather than say beat my brother. Um, but yeah, definitely, when you know, going home afterwards, it's, it's always an interesting experience. And that would be. Blake. I don't think everyone knows that 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 Ryan Roundy and, and Blake Burdett are brothers. Uh, so I, I they, they grew up together, and and, uh, and they are brothers. So that was that's why I asked that question. And that would be yeah. Blake, Blake Burdett is uh, head coach at Utah. And, and Ryan, Utah is a huge rival for BYU. But, of course, you know, really the, the rivalry that we've been noticing because of it ends up in a national championship game is against Cal. Now, Cal uh, has pulled out of the premier division. And it really – Cal and BYU don't have each other on the schedule. Um, you, you don't play each other until you go to a national championship. Uh, it looks like you're not going to play Cal this year. Are you disappointed? Um, well, yeah, you know, I mean, I always look forward to the game against Cal. Um, I mean, it's kind of one of those games that you hope will always happen. Um, it's, you know, one definitely one of the funnest, if not the funnest game of the year. You know, so you always look forward to it. But, I mean, our, you know, but obviously Cal is doing what they think is best for their program. Um, we have nothing but respect for, you know, for Cal. And, but, you know, still saying that our goals haven't changed for this year. Uh, I think we have we have a great team this year. We have great potential. And, you know, obviously our, our goals haven't changed. We're still going to go out there. We're going to try and, you know, beat Utah. We're going to try and win our conference. And we're going to try and win the national championship. You know, so our goals haven't changed. Obviously, we would have loved to play them. We have nothing but respect for their program because, you know, it is a great program. But, you know, we're still, still great teams out there that we, you know, are going to have to beat to, um, to achieve each of our goals. So, I mean, it's, I mean, obviously there's kind of a bitter taste in our mouth, you know, because we won't be able to have that opportunity, but we're still looking forward to a great season. So tell us a little bit about this team that you have. You've got some really experienced players, some of them in their last year, um, but, but also perhaps a, f- a few players we don't know much about who are up and coming that we should uh, hear about. Yeah, we definitely, I mean, we do have a lot of seniors this year. Um, a lot of guys in the last year, you know, that have been through the, you know, been through the program, and you know, they they know how to play rugby. You know, they've, they, you know, they have we have a good, um, we just have a good team chemistry right now, and you know, I'm just I'm just really excited to see what we can do. But you know, obviously, you know, you know, what you're gonna get out of Mikey Sula, you know, you know, what you're gonna get out of Dale Mubba, and you know, once you get back Sean Davies, you know, what you're gonna get out of them. Um, you know, they're great players. They bring it every game. Um, and they are, I mean, they're improving every game. They're improving, you know, off season as well. But of course, you know, we got a few guys back from missions that, um, some of them are, you know, having the, uh, haven't, you know, kind of have the injury curse, 
um, after their bodies aren't really used to coming back and then kind of getting thrown into it. Um, some of them have some hamstring problems and such, but, you know, some of them are picking it up, some of them are working hard. And, you know, obviously with Paul Lasicki coming back and Kyle Sumption, um, you know, once they get a few games under the belt, get more into the season, get, you know, into better shape, um, I think once we, you know, start to get the whole team together and get really that team chemistry going with the guys that are turning, the guys that have came back and the new incoming freshmen, I think we are going to be, a, we can be a very dangerous team this year. I, I got a question about the missions because I know that everybody, everybody uh, gets into BYU for the missions and, and the fact that some of the players are a little bit older. I, you know, I'm obviously I'm relatively friendly with Blake since he's played for the AC. And mm-hmm. he said coming back from a mission is not what you think it is. He's like, you lose a ton of weight. It's kind of horrible. And, and it's it's not like you're really been out there training and ready to play rugby. Can you just give us from your experience having come back from a mission what it's like? And, and is it? Is it that much of an advantage or is it a maturity advantage? I think a mental maturity may be an advantage, but physicality I don't think is a huge advantage there. Yeah, exactly. I think, and I, you know, I agree with that point. I think, you know, mentally, you know, going um, just kind of the, the things we do on the mission, I think definitely, you know, um, with the mentality, maybe we have a mental advantage. But, I mean, for those two years, um, I mean, you get a little bit of workout time in the morning, but that's it. We don't really have I – mean, we don't get time to go to the gym. We don't really get time to work out. Um, but personally, I mean, I went to Romania on my mission, um, you know, didn't have the best food to eat, you know, and, you know, I lost some weight. I lost all the muscle in my legs, came back, lost, you know, put on, of course, some more fat because you're just not really, you know, we're working that out. And so coming back, um, you know, I, when I came back, I hit, you know, I hit the weights hard, but it was tough. The body... You know, the body isn't used to the contact. It isn't used to working out. It isn't used to all running and everything. And um, it's tough that first semester, that first year. I mean, you have, have you know, generally guys do have, you know, especially hamstring problems. Um, you know, the shoulders just aren't used to, you know, the contact and everything. And it, it's tough coming back. Uh, it took me it took me a while to finally get, you know, get my legs under me. Um, generally, and then last year, um, Hoseki Kofi, he was having hamstring problems his first year back. Um, you know, now that he has a year under his belt, you know, after, you know, working hard for a year, year and a half, he's, I mean, he's looking great this year, but I mean, coming back from mission, I think, I mean, it's, 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 it's tough. Uh, I don't definitely don't think as far as phys, um, physically that it's, I mean, it's not an advantage at all. We, it's, it's definitely tough coming back. So, uh, maybe mentally it might be a little bit of an advantage, but definitely not physically. So if if you've done the work and you've struggled through that comeback, um, and, and you've gone through the year where maybe you're not playing, you know, up up to where you, you your best, and a lot of players not even making the first team when they were before, maybe mm-hmm. maybe that's the advantage. Is the it, it's like it's coming through a struggle. And and yeah. out the other end, you're you're older. You're a man. You're not a boy. You've been through a lot of stuff. So as a senior, I would think. I mean, I wouldn't say advantage. I was just saying, as a senior, it's. I mean, it, you're you're you could be in a really great position as a person, but also as an athlete. No, yeah, you know, I definitely I definitely agree with that. Um, I still think you know, if uh, at the very beginning, you know, my number one priority was rugby, you know, I would, probably would have rather not having to take those two years off and just build on my strength, build on my speed, um, instead of, you know, t- having to take that two years back and then work a year to try and get back to where I was. Um, you know, if I if that was my number one 
um, priority in life. You know, if that was rugby, I think to kind of just be able to build and continually progress um, probably would have been much better for my career. Um, but no, yeah, definitely, you know, after you have to put in all the work and after you, you know, hit the weight room hard and, you know, get your treatment and everything done, definitely, you know, as a senior player, um, you feel like you're definitely back to where you are and much, you know, much further along. And then the mental, the, the mental aspect of it, I definitely think could be an advantage of it for sure. Right. I want to ask you about sevens. Um, BYU seems to kind of be on the, uh, the outer edges of the, the whole sevens revolution in college rugby. You guys played a little bit. You played in the qualifier at Denver. Um, I think they called it mountain sevens. You guys won that, uh, pretty easily or pretty handily, uh, beat, I think you scored like 40 points to a single digit on Air Force, if I recall correctly, in the final. Uh, but you, you weren't able to, to to go down to College Station for the USA Rugby Nationals. Um, the CRC hasn't been a realistic possibility because of BYU's policy of uh, not playing games on Sundays and the CRC runs Saturday, Sunday. Do you feel like you're missing out on um, a chance? And Do the guys feel like they're missing out on a chance to, to show that BYU could be a really, really great sevens team? Because just looking at the roster um, of 15s guys, I've got to think that you know the Cougars might be the best sevens team in the country if they actually turned it around and did it. Do you guys feel like you uh, you guys are missing out on as far as sevens goes? Um, yeah, you know I think <laughs> I mean it's kind of something we have to deal with, you know, coming to BYU and playing for BYU. But you know I definitely feel like you know we're missing out on some stuff. I mean I, I love the game of sevens. It's you know it's just a completely different game. Um, but you know I love getting into open space and you know being one on one with the guy across from me. Um, you know, I, I love the game. It's a, an exciting game. I mean, we did have a great tournament down in Colorado on the Mountain Sevens. Um, you know, I think we I think we played well. But you know, I guess, and I and I hope that you know, as you know, like, I think the seventh game obviously is is growing. Um, and I hope that you know the circumstances in the future will be that we'll be able to participate in more tournaments and be able you know to compete in you know the national championships. Um, and kind of as you're saying, as I look at, you know, I was also just talking uh, to actually tell a couple guys on the team last year about, you know, what our roster might look like if we had a sevens team. When we were just talking about, you know, how, you know, how, what the potential could be, you know, and you know, so I think, I definitely think, you know, we're missing out on some, some great opportunities with that. And you know, obviously the the CRC every year looks like such a great opportunity. You know, I've talked to my brother about the, um, you know, the times they've gone. I've talked to some guys, you know, on Utah and. Cal and different teams, just, you know, from what I've played with them, and they say it's always a, you know, a great opportunity to love playing. And so, you know, I think it's definitely something that we're missing out on, but, you know, of course the, the Sunday placing, that's just something, you know, that we, you, we deal with coming to BYU. It's something that we believe in. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping obviously in the future that um, we might have more, that we will have more opportunities, you know, play sevens. Cause I do love the game. I think we would have, you know, we would have filled a great team and, you know, be able to, um, contend with the best. Um, so, yeah, I think we definitely are missing out on some of those opportunities. I think, you know, the guys definitely have fun with it. So hopefully hopefully things will change in the future. What are you looking at personally for yourself going forward? Um, a lot of people say that you're an undersized eight. Are you a seven? Are you a six? Are you an eight? I mean, Buck Shelford was an undersized eight. He did all right. And, and are, are the Eagles in your sights or – are you looking to get a job or possibly go into the sevens world or what is the, the post BYU Ryan Roundy outlook looking like? You know, I've, 
I've been thinking a lot of you know a lot about that myself. Obviously, you know, trying to figure out exactly what I want to do, what path I want to take, what direction I want to go. You know, just rugby with school and NYAC is a really good place. Yeah, no, no, everything I've talked to, um, Blake has, you know, only good things to say um, about New York and the opportunities had there, and, you know, he loved playing up there. Um, but, you know, I just uh, actually just recently applied to grad school this month, um, you know, and I have one more year at BYU. And, you know, people do, yeah, people, as you are saying, people uh, are saying I'm an undersized eight. Um, this year, you know, in the off season, this season, I'm really working – um, pretty much just to do everything I can to, I guess, compensate for that. I've just been really working on my strength. Um, and then, you know, I'm uh, going to keep working on trying to get a little bit faster, just working on my, um, you know, my running, my tackling. Because, you know, even though you are an undersized, if I, may be an, if I am an undersized day, I think, you know, I think I can make up for that in different aspects on the field. So, and, you know, I, you know, I, enjoy, I enjoy playing number eight. You know, I think it's a, definitely a fun position. Um, I feel comfortable, you know, having the ball in hand. But I think I definitely could, you know, I could play. I think I could, and I probably feel the most comfortable eight, you know, just because I've been, I've, you know, I've been playing that position at BYU for the past few years. But you know, growing up in high school, I did play six, I did play seven, and you know, if I did, if I think if I did commit myself to one of those positions, you know, I think I could be successful. But you know, going forward post BYU, I mean, I would love to have the opportunity um, to play rugby. Um, I'm kind of just, I'm not really depending on it right now. Obviously, I'm going to leave the the opportunity. I mean, if the opportunity comes along, of course, I'm going to take it. I'm not really, you know, planning on it. I'm not really going to put all my eggs in, you know, in one basket. But, you know, I'm going to do I'm going to do everything I need to in school. You know, I'm to, right now I'm planning on going, going to grad school. Um, so I have a couple more years of school with that. And, you know, but if the opportunity comes along, you know, to have – a better opportunity with rugby with sevens or something, you know, I would definitely, definitely look at it. I would have, you know, weigh the pros and the cons because, you know, I, lo- I love playing rugby. It's, it's just, you know, it's a passion. And, you know, as you know, as life goes along, you know, question? weigh the priorities. Yes. How big are you as an undersized eight? What is an undersized um, eight? I, I, somewhere, I, you look about six one two twenty. That's not that small. That, uh, you know, that's actually know. exactly what I am. I'm about I'm about six one two twenty exactly actually. So that's a great guess. But well, you know, let me you ask know. another specific question. Uh, when 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 will you be done with school? Um, and how old will you be at that point? So if I if I get into this um, graduate program that I'm applying to, I'll have two more years. So I would be done. Um, let's see, what was it April of 2014. And at that point, I would be 26 years old. Um, so, but I mean, I guess, I guess for the previous question, I guess, you know, the usual eight man, I would say it's probably about 6'2", 6'3", I mean, 6'2", 6'3", about uh, 230, 235. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not that undersized, but, you know, that's just something that people have kind of been telling me, you know, as I've been coming along through the game. And obviously, I have put on a little bit of weight, um, just, you know, the muscle I've been putting on. I've, you know, I've, you know I was thinking about, 215 last year, about 208, 210 the year before, you know, so I kind of am slowly, you know, getting my muscle mass up, putting on a little bit more weight, but, you know, I'm just, I'm just doing all the work, but, you know, doing everything I can to be able to make up for that, and, you know, if, if rugby opportunities arise, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be hard to pass them up, um, you know, post-BYU, definitely want to keep my hand in the game, just uh, kind of 
take it as it comes, um, you know, and we'll see what happens. If we make things a little bit more current, you, your next game is uh, actually in Las Vegas at the Las Vegas Invitational. You're playing Penn State and uh, I believe Missouri. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, um, tell us a little bit about that and also your 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 recent tour of Seattle where you played three games in three days. I, I don't think you did personally, but uh, uh, Central Washington, University of Washington, and Old Puget Sound, and you won all three. The Puget Sound game was a real tough one. So tell us a little bit about that, but also what you're looking to get out of a uh, Penn State game in uh, Las Vegas. Well, you know, we put in, you know, obviously, you know, you're coming back. We came back from Christmas break. We came back, you know, new semester, put in a lot of work, put a lot of practice time, you know, we put in the system, um, just, you know, did a lot of that. Did a lot of you know team stuff, and you know you always it seemed like we were just you know it was, it was time that we just needed a game to kind of see where we're at, and so the Seattle trip I think was I mean it was, it was perfect timing. It was a great opportunity for us to get away as a team, you know, kind of build that team chemistry a little bit, and I think it was a it was a great um, it was a great first trip, it was a great first few games for the boys. I don't think really could have asked for more. You know, we got a good first run against Central Washington. They're always a good team, um, and then obviously the the contest against Old Future Sound which, you know, I think, which we, you know, ended up winning, which was a great game for us. Um, but I think, you know, obviously we can go back, we can look at the film, we can see the areas, you know, that we did well, areas that we need to improve on. And, you know, that's just kind of the next step. But I think it was, I mean, I don't think we could have really asked for a better first few games. Um, and now we're just, you know, we're just looking to build on that for, you know, for the, the few games we have in Las Vegas. You know, I'm always looking forward to playing Penn State. They're always a tough team. We usually, I think the past few years, is you know, we've always played them down in Vegas. Um, and they're always a tough team. They always give us a good game. You know, so we're looking forward to that. And so, you know, we've just been, kind of like I was saying before, we've just been watching film. We've been breaking it down, seeing, you know, the areas that we need to improve on. And, you know, you're always looking forward to that next game to see, you know, kind of if you can put those things um, into into your game plan, if you can do the things, you know, kind of the things that were your weaknesses in the game before, if you can improve on those and then just kind of seeing how, you know, the, how the guys are playing together. You know, if you're, you know, starting to play off of each other well, if you're starting to know how each other plays. And so, you know, we're definitely looking forward to that. Always looking forward to going down to Vegas and getting some of that, you know, the, the better weather, the warm sunshine. So we're looking forward to that trip. I think it will be a good couple of games for us. How important was that game against Old Puget Sound and the, and the level of physicality and uh, and also actually playing against a BYU grad in uh, in Pate Tuilavuca, but but playing against men who are going to really bring the physical side of the game and make you struggle, and you really had to struggle. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that was I think that was really the greatest uh, greatest thing that we took out of that game was you know the physicality because we we kind of toned down the phys the physical aspect of practice because last year you know we we kind of had a we had a few too many injuries in practice and it kind of hurt us for the year. So this year we kind of toned it down a little bit, and so that was you know I think that's exactly what we were we were you know gonna gonna get out of that game was you know if we would be able to step up to the challenge. We knew they were gonna be a physical team, and you know I think it was a, it was a great test for us. Um, they you know they were they were uh, they they brought out the breakdowns you know they were tough they hit hard and. And that's what I think was the, the greatest thing we took out of that was the fact that, you know, we stepped up. Um, I think we did we did pretty well, you know, getting that in their physicality. And, you know, I think it was, so I think it was, um, I think it was a great, you know, first match. Uh, obviously, it was, you know, it was the first time I've played against Pate. Um, it was a fun game, it was fun playing across from him. He's, you know, he's a 
big guys, tough to take, tough, tough to bring down. But um, so it's fun to play against him. He, you know, he's a great leader, a great, uh, a great distributor out there, a great runner, and you know, so that was fun. But it was just, I mean, it was a great contest all around. Um, especially having that kind of pressure, um, you know, the very beginning of the year, I think it was a great, great game for us. Ryan, um, hate to backtrack too much, but I do want to ask you because I'm intrigued by it. Um, you know, you said you're going to be 26 years old by the time you get done with school. And if I remember just a couple of years ago when I was done with school, uh, you know, I was pretty ready to uh, start making money and pretending to be an adult at some point in time. And the reality is a lot of the guys who graduate and, you know, start playing sevens or start giving rugby a serious thought are, are graduating at 22, 23, or, you know, some guys are putting their school on hold at 21 or even a little bit younger like, you know, Peter Tiberio or, um, Rocco Maurer, Zach Tess, Zach Destel hasn't gotten his bachelor's degree. Some people might not know that yet. But at 26 years old, that's the point in time where a lot of rugby players, especially domestic rugby players, are saying either it's time for me to make a real living or it's time for me to um, kind of put rugby as uh, a little bit lower down on the priority list. And you're going to graduate at 26, so that will put you, you know, kind of four years of those early 20s, still living on a college diet, college budget, um, years behind. Do you, do you imagine that you'll still be interested in the struggle? Because it really is for a lot of domestic guys. Some guys can get it, you know, go straight overseas. But for those first few years, it usually is uh, pretty college-esque living. Yeah, and I, yeah that's, I guess that's definitely one of, I guess one of the main challenges, you know, that, I've, that I face in kind of thinking about exactly what I want to do post-BYU. But um, studying statistics here at BYU, you know, is just – it's just one of the things that I wanted to do. I wanted to get my master's degree. Um, it's just one of my goals. And, you know, I just think that, you know, my future will definitely will greatly benefit, you know, from just getting as much education as possible. So, you know, I think it was two extra years. You know, I will graduate when I'm 26. Um, but I think, you know, I can't be playing rugby forever. i got to think about my future. And I think, you know, getting a master's degree, getting that higher education, you know, is definitely going to greatly benefit my future, you know, um, benefit my family in the future. And, and that's what I was, it was kind of saying before is I'm just kind of going to you know, take it as it comes and just kind of weigh the, weigh the opportunities, weigh, you know, the pros and the cons as, I guess, as they come. But right now, I mean, I don't, I guess I don't already have, you know, an opportunity right now to go and, you know, and do rugby full time or, so that's why I am focusing on school because it is something that I can't control. But, you know, if, if an opportunity comes along, you know, to take rugby more seriously or, you know, to make it full-time, then obviously I'm going to weigh those pros and cons. But, I mean, right now, you know, school is, you know, definitely one of my highest priorities. I'd love to, you know, have the opportunity to play more rugby. But uh, I guess I don't really have those opportunities right now. And so the things that I can control, um, which is school right now, um, just trying to do the best that I can at it. Well, Ryan, that's that's pretty much all we can do is do the the best we can and make the decisions that come mm-hmm. in front of us. So, uh, Ryan Roundy, captain and number eight for Brigham Young University, and um, still a national team hopeful and All American. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, thank you very much for having me on today. I enjoyed thanks. it. Thanks a lot, Ryan. It was fun. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Pat. Thanks, Alex. Don't go away. There is lots to come on Rugga Matrix America. Hey, don't forget the biggest rugby party in the USA is slated for February 10th through 12th, 2012 in Las Vegas, Nevada. The USA 7's International Rugby Tournament brings the United States and 15 other top international 7s teams to the American stop on the World Series circuit. It's three days of thrilling action. 
Go to USA7s.com for details and great hotel and ticket packages. And if you're a player, the Las Vegas Invitational is where you can play rugby before seeing the USA7s. Presented by Stations Casinos, the LVI is the biggest tournament in the country and offers 7s and 15s playing opportunities for all levels. Go to LVIRugby.com for details on how to sign up and get great USA 7s deals and special rates on Stations Casinos Hotels. Once again, go to LVIRugby.com for details. Okay, we're back on Rugged Matrix America, and we're going to go with an interview that Pat did with Marty Bradley. And Pat, this is kind of an interesting interview that – well, I hope it's more than kind of an interesting interview – that you did with Marty, who is the head coach at University of Tennessee and kind of spearheaded the formation of this Southeastern Collegiate Rugby Conference. Um, what were you hoping to get out of him with this, this chat you had? Yeah, I mean it, it's a timely time – You know, it's a good time to talk to him because – the SEC has just kicked off. Um, by the time anybody hears this, they'll just played their first round of games. Um, and so I think it's kind of a – that's a bit of a momentous occasion. Um, but also with the Todd Bell firing and um, and some of the changes that are trying to be made kind of behind closed doors or closed curtains uh, as in, as it pertains to the uh, college restructure, it's important to uh, chat with somebody and somebody we haven't heard from. Uh, we've heard from a lot of people, um, chiefly me. But anybody else who's kind of in the trenches that we hadn't heard from. So I wanted to get his perspective on not only the SEC, but um, kind of the, the ongoing uh, um, flux of the college game. Yeah, he's a smart guy, and he was also involved with the uh, state-based rugby organizations on the high school side. So, um, yeah, I think he touches on on at least alludes to those experiences here. So this is Pat Clifton and Marty Bradley having a chat about collegiate rugby. All right, this is uh, Pat Clifton. I'm here with Marty Bradley, um, the head coach of Tennessee, one of the uh, founding fathers of the uh, Southeastern Collegiate Rugby Conference and also uh, wears the hat as the um, chair of the College Eligibility Committee. Um, so a guy who's pretty plugged into the college uh, rugby scene. Marty, how you doing? Good, Pat. How are you today? I am all right. I'm all right. Partially the reason we're talking here is um, – this will actually – people won't hear this until after the opening weekend of uh, SCRC or SEC or Southeastern Collegiate Rugby play. Um, but the uh, opening weekend is uh, right here upon us, February uh, 4th. It's got to – is one of the guys who you know was working from the ground up, um, as I understand it, building this conference. It's got to feel maybe not like the finish line, but pretty gratifying to finally get to that first week of, of SEC rugby. Well, it is, Pat. We – you know, we we put a lot of work into the front of this thing to make sure we got off on the right foot. I think we're right on the threshold of of, of seeing some really good things in our conference. We've already seen some teams really step forward in their in their organization, and then their and we we hope that translates into their um, their competition as well. It's you know, we got a full slate of games this weekend. Some are very interesting, very interesting games. Um, uh, they're, because they're all southeastern conference schools, they're all rivals. So every week you're playing a rival. So that's um, we we just think it makes for good drama on the field, and uh, hopefully we get a little recognition on campus out of it. Yeah, um, you know the first year of um, the college premier division or D1A Tennessee, obviously you guys took part in. Um, there were I think some teams that people are like, what really? This team is in this conference. I mean. 
Notre Dame, they finished in the middle pack or lower half of the Midwestern D1, and they're jumping up into the college from your division. They're going to have to play teams like Tennessee and A&M and LSU. Um, but some of them really rose to the occasion, um, Notre Dame being one of them. Um, I think Rutgers was a little more competitive than some other people would have guessed. But there were some teams that kind of rose to the challenge of playing in a bigger league, a more organized league, and better competition. That's the hope I have to guess um, for you, for the SEC. Do you, do you think there are teams that are going to come up and maybe surprise some people, maybe guys that weren't on the same level as the, the Tennessees, the LSUs, the Floridas um, in the past? I think so. I think so. Uh, we, we've got a chance to see um, – all our SEC teams play sevens, um, and, and, and we really saw an improvement between this past season in sevens and the year before, and I think it's all because these guys realize it's an opportunity to go make a mark, and, uh, and they're taking it more seriously. And I think that's going to translate over into, into 15s rugby as well. We, you know, Auburn, Alabama, uh, Mississippi State, uh, you know, I could go virtually every team has improved their organization and has improved their commitment to training. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing what happens this season. Um, in terms of the college restructure, um, you obviously have been uh, in a lot of those discussions. Um, how is it, you know, we're a couple years into it, it seems like um, now Division One AA is, is what it's called. Um, they're in their, you know, second season as, as con- in conference play, right? Um What's uh, how has it gone so far? Give it kind of maybe not a, a letter grade, but are you at the point right now with the amount of teams playing in leagues and the organization where you thought you could be? Um, are we at the op? You know, when you saw, let, sat down and looked at this, there are a lot of critics in the beginning, um, saying uh, we don't know that it's gonna, you know, people are gonna be able to get organized enough, um, organized fast enough. Um, you know, how are we going to get all these coaches and all these student run, some of the student run organizations to, you know, come together and create what they need to create. But it seems like that's happened more than it it hasn't. So perhaps some of the criticism uh, turned out to not be, um, you know, due or needed um, or, or come true. Where do you look at it in terms of where you are in the restructure? Well, I think we're, well, Division One, which is now Division One A and Division One AA, um, is done, right? I mean, we're playing. Um, many of our teams have already finished their first season that play in the fall. Uh, and every team uh, made the transition. We have solid conferences that exist now. We only have a couple of conferences that have below the the minimum number for an automatic qualifier, and we have a procedure for that to be sorted out. Uh, Division two, uh, which is Division one AA, the old Division One AA and NCAA, those teams are well on their way to forming conferences. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think was listed as the reason for terminating Todd Bell was that there was concerns over the restructure. And from my eyes, it looks like we're ahead of schedule on the restructure. Um, I think most people have an idea um, in Division Two where they're going to land, and they're not due to be in that spot until – this coming fall, uh, we already we already have three competing Division Two conferences right now. So, uh, and I anticipate probably within the next sixty to ninety days having several more conferences appear before the eligibility committee for for ratification. So, I think as far as the restructure goes, the plan is on schedule. 
Uh, I still am firmly committed that it's the best plan for college rugby. Um, and I look forward to watching these teams migrate uh, and providing their own leadership for their game in the future. Well, you know, I've been on record several times on, you know, the things I write saying why I think that um, going to a conference-based structure is the um, what the benefits are, but somebody who's done it and knows the benefits because you're either reaping them or about to or, or whatnot, what do you see the benefits are? And, and not just for um, maybe you and the SEC and being able to leverage that great brand that it is, but also for maybe some of the Division II schools who may not be playing in the traditional um, you know conference that their school competes in, but what are the benefits for them that you could see um, and what are the benefits that your reward you're reaping now with Tennessee and the SEC? Well, I think the immediate benefit is ownership. Um, the teams involved in these conferences are 100% invested in the conference. There's not multiple layers of management any longer. Um, you know, a team that has direct access to to the leadership of their conference, if, if they want to control the fate of their game, they can do that very simply by going to the conference who has whose sole responsibility is it to take care of those individual college rugby teams. They don't have shared responsibilities with with other elements of the game. Uh, it's all about those college rugby teams, whether it be the men or the women or whatever the conference is, and that's their sole focus. Um, they can make as much of it as they want or, frankly, as little as they want. Um, and so they, they set their own they set their own due structure. Every penny of that money that goes to that conference goes right back into the development of their game, how they choose. Um, you know, so they truly have ownership of their game. Um, it has been my contention that there's enough leadership in, in our sport um, to effectively run these conferences. Um, and I think we're starting to see that happen. As far as the, South, as far as the Southeastern Collegiate Rugby Conference goes, I mean, obviously, there's a, there's a branding there that, that makes a lot of sense for us. Uh, conferences don't have to follow their, their NCAA conference alignments with their school. They can go out and, 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 and create a membership of teams that makes the most sense for them. Uh, you know, we've got the Division II conferences here in the South that are already formed. One is a Southern Conference set of schools that have formed a conference. But the other is just a, a group of, of, of teams that have a, a shared rivalry and they're geographically located where they can get to each other in a, in a reasonable drive. And, and they wanted to form their own conference, and so they just went out and did it. They, they had the leadership to do it. Um, you know, the, they, they shared, those schools shared nothing in common except geography and approximate size in student enrollment. Um, and they, they are on the – there again, I believe, this weekend, they start their competition, and they're playing. Um, let me ask, because you kind of alluded to it a little bit with one of the things you said there in terms of not, you know, you believe there is enough leadership. I think that's one of the main criticisms of, um, the restructure was, well, uh, it's hard enough to get uh, enough good volunteers already. Um, if we divide up the amount of governments we have to run the game where we're going to find all these administrators. Um, and, and you kind of answered that, that you think that there are enough. Um, and I tend to agree with you, but what are some of the other common criticisms and, Maybe what are, what are the rebuttals to those that, that you hear that maybe the rest of us don't? Well, I think the 
I think you hit it with the the criticism of these colleges can't manage themselves. Um, we hear that a lot, uh, and I think these colleges have probably never given been given the opportunity to manage themselves. But that doesn't mean they can't. Um, you know, I, there's there's some nice bright young coaches on these campuses that are working hard to try to get their teams better that I believe would be willing to step up and, and take on some type of role if they really felt like they had ownership in, in the process. Uh, and so we just have to find them. The struggle has been communicating with them, uh, you know, finding, those, finding those, those new people to the game, those young coaches, uh, and, and, and sharing this vision with them on how how we see the game progressing, you know, over the next three years. Because remember, the, the the restructure plan wasn't a one-year process. It was a, you know, it was up to a four-year process. And um, you know, and we're not even halfway through yet. So, but it, but the struggle has been communicating with the individual schools, because so many schools, it's just, you know, some 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 four guys out there trying to, you know. Hold up, hold down his day job, raise a family, and then give two or three afternoons plus, you know, a Saturday to the to the local college rugby team, and you know he he needs some he needs some help, and we need to be able to provide him with with the assistance to to get out there and help create a conference without a burden of work, you know, and that's why we're trying to provide templates of bylaws and and competition structures and and descriptions of officers and we're, we're trying to provide those things to people uh, so they have the tools to create their conference communication i think is one of the biggest you know buzzwords to talk about when you talk about this restructure because um part of the reason why you know we're talking to marty right now is because um at the recent congress meeting down in new orleans uh there was a discussion and now there's a motion on the table to kind of um, take a little bit of the um, sharpness out of the teeth of uh, the original restructure, um, meaning uh, Division II teams that can't find a conference. They were supposed to get into a conference um, by the next competitive cycle um, in order to have a pathway directly to the USA Rugby National Championships. Well, now there's a motion on the table to say, well, those who can't get in uh, two conferences probably need a little bit more time and we'll let them play in their LAU, GU, TU competitions or existing club competitions to find a way to the playoffs. Um, and I'm I'm of the opinion that part of the reason that that motion is necessary is because of the lack of communication um, top down that I still talk to a lot of people as somebody who's trying to create one of these conferences uh, personally who don't understand what the, the restructure is, don't know, still don't are completely in the dark of why it exists or what it entails and what they need to do to fall in line with it or to better their, their, you know, situation. And, uh, this is, you know, a long time after it's been by now, everybody should know. Right. So the mis in the way I see it, the miscommunication has been probably the biggest downfall of this. Marty, is that, is that the way you see it? Uh, communication top down has been one of the um, um, the big tripping points for this thing, and how do we as a USA Rugby as an organization better that? Well, I would agree with you that communication has been uh, uh, a problem uh, in creating, in accomplishing the restructure. Um, but I think solving that problem uh, is going to be very difficult. USA Rugby basically has two ways to communicate with the rugby public. They either issue press releases through through their 
through their process of issuing press releases, and as you guys know, you get them and you post them on your site, and they're posted on the USA Rugby website. But, but um, we all know we've seen challenges in that process in the past uh, in getting that information as timely as we can. So we got that one issue. But, the, but then the other way to, to communicate with with uh, folks trying to run their rugby teams is is to communicate directly with them. And the way and the way we would do that is either go individually to every team with a communication, or rely on the existing channel of communications that are out there with the TULU system. Um, and, I, and I think what has happened uh, over the past year is the communications process has taken on a variety of roles. It has tried to go through the national office to issue press releases of, with information so that you know the word could get out. But I think also communication has been attempted um, through providing information to TU and LAU leadership so that they could filter it down to their teams. Uh, some LAUs and TUs have done a better job of distributing that information than others. Um, and I, I can't speculate on the reason why, but, uh, but that's just the fact. Some teams are in the dark because the information has gone to them, but they haven't received it. Um, so we've got to figure out a way to communicate directly to the team uh, if we're actually going to to provide a 100% communication to everyone interested in this process. Um, that's easier said than done. Well, um, running out of time here, so I'll thank you, Marty, very much for coming on. Um, and, and I'll make one last kind of uh, point as we go on. It's kind of interesting that uh, in order to get the information to the college teams, we use the, uh, the vehicle, the TULAU system, that uh, we're essentially trying to take the college teams out of or uh, help them, you know, free themselves, free them from. So that's kind of an interesting way of doing it. But, Marty, I thank you very much for coming on and sharing your, your insights into uh, the college rugby world, and congrats on the start of SEC play. All right, thanks a lot. That was Pat and Marty Bradley having a chat. And, and Pat, anything surprise you out of that conversation? Nothing surprises me at all about Anvo, uh, <laughs> um, uh, to be honest with you. I, I've experienced, um, as I alluded to in one of my questions, I've, I, I'm personally in my area trying to put together a Division II conference. And uh, this last weekend we had a kind of a windfall in that. Looks like it's going to happen, but – over a lot of the hurdles that Marty was referring to, yeah, the, the key is uh, miscommunication, really. Uh, USA Rugby was trying to use the, the territorial and LAU systems, uh, the unions, to reach and let them know these are the changes that are happening and here's what you need to do about them. Um, and, of course, by playing a telephone, uh, those you know messages did not get to uh, the appropriate people, and that would slow down this uh, – restructure at least in terms of the division two level and uh so that's been the biggest problem so far and it was you know that's what i thought as well and it was uh you know kind of interesting to hear marty bradley echo those sentiments it, uh, i'll be interested to see what happens when when things splinter off into the conferences that are created whether the decision will be made by a lot of college teams the same decision that was made by high school teams that uh you know a national championship that's not really what we're about let's win our conference as opposed or, or you know on the high school level let's win our state let's do that let's do what's traditional can you win your conference and and let's call it good 
and we've had our season. Yeah, I, I can respect that too, though I don't think that that's the future of college rugby. Mm. I think it could be the immediate future um, because if we're being honest about everything, uh, I, I think that the, the restructure in large part was a reaction to um, – uh, by us usa rugby to the creation of the the college coaches i can't remember the name of it was it the college coaches council or whatever they yeah, came up with right. a couple of years ago it really was a reaction to that in my opinion in a way to save sip dollars they saw that coaches were getting aligned and getting organized and were going to potentially completely break away from usa rugby because um they could and i think that usa rugby reacted oh no no let's compromise let's calm down we still want to keep your SIP money, but here, we'll let you keep the money that you were spending on the LAUs and TUs by having your own conferences. And so this is kind of a short-term, I feel like, Band-Aid to kind of appease the college coaches and the people in the college game. Um, and, and I think ultimately, eventually what's going to happen is uh, you'll see college, the college game almost completely break away from USA Rugby in that they're not going to play in their playoffs and they're not going to pay them their SIP money because a lot of colleges, especially the ones that are aligned with their universities, um, you know, strongly don't need the liability insurance um, and the that's right. catastrophe insurance. And, and at the end of the day, I think that's going to happen. And I, I think they're going to want a national championship of some kind, um, even though it may not be a USA rugby sanctioned one. I think a private national championship out there. Yeah. Is- I, I, th- I think we're sort of pointing in somewhat the same direction, but slightly different. But the lesson is, follow the money. We're going to follow the money. We're going to go uh, to a, a quick commercial. We'll be right back and we are going to bring Bruce back in and talk US 7s team in Wellington and USA 7s in Las Vegas. So we'll be right back on Rugga Matrix America. Hey fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots. Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. Right, well, we're back. This is Alex Goff, Editor-in-Chief of RugbyMag.com with Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean. And we're back on Rugby Matrix America. And right after the USA was in Wellington for the New Zealand Sevens, actually officially called the Hertz Sevens, uh, which was won in, in pretty exciting fashion by New Zealand. And and I think we can all agree that the United States finished tied for last. They were 0-5. Uh, they lost – well, they were shut out three times. They lost in pool play to South Africa, 21-0, England, 29-0, and then to the Cook Islands, they gave up a, a, a lead. They went up 22-14, and they lost 26-22. Then they lost to Wales, 10-0, and Scotland, 14-12. Uh, really not a good performance. A couple of moments there, what Scotland looked like they might be able to play and play that game and win that game, and they kind of... Well, they just gave it back to them. Talk to Al Caravelli a little bit after the the event, and this is what he had to say. I'd say it's a roller coaster. You know, at certain points, I thought we were finally starting a little better, and then other times uh, we didn't. So, unfortunately, very inconsistent. And it was evident today. Uh, you know, I think the defensive structure we've put in works. Now we just got to get make sure we get the right players in to make those one-on-one tackles. And then as far as our attacking perspective, you know, we're not playing the pattern that we've set out to play. And uh, we all had a talk and a discussion that players who uh, don't follow the pattern won't play and won't make the team. I mean, the new guys I can accept that with. We just can't. Uh, a veteran 
of you know over 20 appearances and for us i know if you compare it to the series that's not a lot but for us you know we only have we've we've only had uh four people in our history ever get in the 20s so you know if you're a veteran that has that many appearances and you continue to make the, the same mistakes that's not good what i'm saying is that if you look how many breaks we made um how many breaks we made that were either then not supported nor um, we threw a pass away. I mean, you, you look clearly, you know, we scored one penalty play inside the 22 all weekend out of, I think, eight or nine. And so, you know, we got to get on board with that as well. The guys all have to be on the same page and they're not just like our pattern. You know, when we want to take the ball as far as we possibly can. And if if you can't, uh, uh, you know, when there's no, when you make the line break, right? And if there's a, once you've made the line break, if you're in a lot of traffic, we don't want you to offload a 50-50 pass. We want you to, we want to make those 50-50s into 80-20s. And we're not doing that right now. So basically that's a, a frustrated Al Caravelli. He's, he's obviously saying, first of all, he's not happy with what the players did on the field. I, you know, some of the things I didn't run there with the fact that he, he gave a pass to some of the players who played, you know, showed some good stuff, but they're new, like Maka Anufe, Garrett Bender. He expects them to make a couple of mistakes and he expects them to try and do something good. But what he pointed at was veterans. He doesn't want to see veterans uh, make the same mistakes over and over again. And, um, you know, he's seeing lack of execution and he may well be replacing some of these players. I think, uh, you know, he stopped playing Mark Bachhoven. So there's, there's one right there. I think the, it also falls on the coach in lack of execution. Uh, Caravelli has got to, uh, look at himself also and, and wonder what it is that he's not getting across to these players. What, what does he change or what does he need to change? to get them to execute better and simply catch the ball and stop passing the ball to the other team. Guys? Yeah, it, lack of execution is putting it politely. Um, when you uh, fail war uh, against uh, two teams in your pool, and I think they were outscored 50 to nothing through two games, if, if I did correctly, um, and then you go 0-5 in a tournament, failure to execute is uh, – uh, it's up, but it's also saying it lightly. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, is they played as bad. And I'll be honest, I only watched um, – I was able to watch the England game. That was as bad a 14 minutes of Eagles sevens as I have seen, um, or at least as I can recall. Uh, it was terrible. They had hardly any offense. And when they got it, they looked completely lost. Um, and that's something – they shouldn't be like that ever, um, even if they met a week before the tournament, which a lot of those guys did. It doesn't matter excuses to play that poorly. And there's a lot of veterans on this team and there's some talent on this team and it's just unacceptable. I say that the one thing I think they're missing the most is toughness. You know, Paul yeah. Emmerich, um, the, he's a guy that when all else, you know, he's going to tackle hard, you know, he's going to ruck hard and you know, he's going to run hard. Matt Hawkins brings toughness to this team. Marco Barnard up to this team for some time. Paul Emmerich has always done it. Um, Todd Clever has done it. And, and I think that right now this team uh, is kind of soft. I wish I had an answer. I know what my answer is. My answer is that you want to answer rugby players. And and, that's the, and I also think that you have to play a lot of rugby. And then I also think that you got to be working on your skills and, and doing things outside of rugby, outside that, that it's a little bit more than fitness. And that's it. I, you know, I, but I don't know what the exact preparation was. I'll say he did change it up. And, and maybe there is, maybe that is an issue. And players haven't adapted well to it. Well, then the line is they have a long, this is a tough road to home in Vegas, and Canada's going to want a piece of them. Argentina's won it. 
and and then I you know and, and then he Fiji. It's yeah, it's it's a, it's a real tough one, although those, those teams are all beatable. USA has beaten those teams. We can't say about a couple of others. Pat, toughness, aggressiveness, uh, you know, uh, running and not being denied. You look Canada and the way they played. That's the way they ran. Canada is not flashy sevens team by any stretch of the imagination, but they don't go down on the first hit. Um, you know, it would be great if Paul Emmerich were on this team, but unfortunately it's not going to happen because he's uh, on an airplane going to London right now to join Wasps. So we don't get him. And we lost uh, Chris Wiles, and we lost Kevin Swearin, guys who could really run through. Kevin Swearin was was awesome as a sevens player, running through traffic. So we need somebody else to come in there and do that. And the same thing is, they got to catch the ball, and they got to be able to pass the ball. They got to be if they get hit with two or three guys, they've got to turn around and either offload or realize the offload's not there. And, and you know, players, Andrew Duartalo, he's a big, strong guy. He's pretty scary. Saw him pass to the other team a couple of times. This is the sort of thing we can't, um, we, we, we just can't have. Uh, so so it's, it's, it's frustrating to, to lose certain players and say, we don't have this, we don't have that. But we got to see somebody somebody take that game by the scruff of the neck and not be denied. And we saw a team that didn't do that at all, all week. I agree a hundred percent with that assessment. It, it's, you can't sit there and talk to the that you wish you had, even though I have done it. Um, <laughs> the reality is, uh, I mean, Mile Pulu is not on this team. He's not on this team. Those are probably your two biggest guys who are just going to pick up the ball and make a line break in the last, you look at the last, I don't know, 18 months to two years of the sevens team. Those are the guys that are, have, probably been your biggest line breakers they're not there uh someone's got to step up and make a play shalom sinihula in the past we've seen him you know dart around guys and and somehow set first line of defense and make it really hard on the defense well he hasn't he certainly didn't do it this time around um and and kind of my veterans making mistakes mike palafow against england the one chance they had to finally actually score through a pass that was a group forward that never should have been thrown. Yeah. Uh, not only should it not have been thrown, the guy, I think it was Colin Hawley, I can't remember who it was, shouldn't have been a position forward. Those are things we teach, you know, our rookies who aren't playing their first game of rugby. It's uh, There's not one or two things you can point at about this tournament and say this went wrong or this went wrong. I think that uh, the pool that they have in Vegas gives them a chance to have a really good redeeming tournament. Oh, it is tough. I would argue it may be the easiest they've had because of the fact that – I can't remember the exact number, but when I was talking to Al a little while ago, something like five or six times in a row, USA has beaten Argentina. I think he said it's been years since the United States has lost to Argentina, that when they play them, they have a refuse-to-lose attitude against those guys, and they go up and they know they're going to win, and they pour their hearts in line when they play Argentina. I, I think that they can do that again in the United States, I guess. Obviously, they need to apply that same attitude to Canada, who I would consider a very tough team, and maybe that's one of the attributes the fact that they're tough and they're tenacious. Um, certainly, I don't, I wouldn't say they're out-athleting the United States, but that's a beat. If they get those two wins, good chance they're getting onto the Cup quarterfinals, and that's that'll be the first time they've done it. So it's an improvement. So I do think that this was a disastrous tournament, about as bad as you can have in, in New Zealand, but at the same time. Home, uh, home soil, home turf in front of all their home fans and um, all, you know, all the eyeballs watching on TV. I think five and a half million is what Dan Lyle said watch last year. The USA has a chance now to redeem themselves. And then he goes up by the bootstraps and do just that. Yeah, I, I, I think that there can't be a whole lot of there can't be a whole lot of self-analysis and, and, and things. I mean, you got to look into it, but I, 
I think you just got to move forward from there. I am not quite as optimistic uh, as you in the prospects at USA Sevens. However, I think that one of the things that could could work in their favor is that somebody takes the U.S. lightly and they, they're able to get, get a role on and get their confidence back. But I think that they have to keep preparing in the way that they, you know, just move forward. That's the thing. And, and not really dwell on on the mistakes. Just dwell on what do you do well and how, how can you make yourself be the best? And how can I, I think the biggest problem really with the team that, that I see from from the games is that I don't know that they necessarily believe a, it's not only not believing in themselves fully. I also don't know that they they understand how it all fits together and that they can believe in each other as a collective and kind of know. Usually if there's a defensive mistake, it shouldn't be fatal. The, the second one is fatal, but the first one you can usually cover for. The second one is fatal. And then, so those are the types of things. That can, they don't necessarily have the confidence in each other to know, or at least they're not playing that way. They may have it, but they're not playing that way. And if they bring that, you know, you can turn things around by just, just little stuff like that. It's, it's going to be, you know, but I think it's going to be a lot more of an uphill battle than you're making it out to be, Pat. You know, it, it's a team game. I love this sport because it is such a team game. And, and, and we talk about athletes and we talk about rugby players and we talk about uh, game plans and all that stuff. But you could have the simplest game plan in the world. But if you execute it and you play together and you play your hearts out for each other, you can accomplish a great deal. And this team hasn't been a team at least this past weekend. Uh, they're capable of being it. There's a bunch of guys who are, who've been together for a while, but the, um, whether it's the disparate uh, selections or whether it's just confusion with some changes in some game plan, I, I don't know. I think, Bruce, you got it uh, about sort of a, a lack of buy-in right now. Um, I, I do think there should be personnel changes. I do want to see Tyanos on that team because there's an electric guy in sevens who just – who turns nothing into tries and I do want to see Matt Hawkins there and I and I think that you're probably going to see Falau Niua and Mark Bachhoven on the sidelines of Niua hardly played this tournament and that there's got to be a reason for that um and I and I want to see some changes and stuff you know the the thing that really excited me at the Pan Am games was they were really simple and they got the ball and I realized it was against slightly lesser opposition but they got the ball and they did simple hands to a nice pass right in front of Maka Anufe and the guy could run and go score a try they didn't do that at all they didn't look at their most dangerous attacking weapon and give him a ball to run onto in space just didn't happen and that's just kind of stuff it's it's basic right we're not talking about fancy fancy stuff it's basic playing as a team simple execution i don't know i you know i'll argue with bruce because i love doing it. it's been a while I've gotten to but i'll disagree i think if you look at the pools that the usa has had this year and uh, this is i mean there's no easy team to pick off right um but they had cook islands which should have been a fairly easy team to pick off and they didn't do it but they lost to Zimbabwe. I mean, the reality is, is Canada and Argentina, they proved they could beat. And those games are as close to – they've got two as close to coin flips as they've had in any pool the entire year. But that's just you know, one man's opinion, and you have another, and that's fine. But going – I mean, what Alex is saying in terms of personnel, I think it is important to look at the personnel because a guy like Mark Bachhoven, right? We know what we have in Mark Bachhoven. And I think it's some similar to – you know, my criticism of Mark Bachhoven would be kind of – similar to the criticism I've had of Andrew Suniula on the 15th team, 
He's a big, strong-looking guy. Sometimes he winces and tackles and certainly doesn't play as big as he looks. Al Caravelli knows that. He knows that. And I don't know that he uh, wants necessarily to continuously pick Mark Bakoven. But at the, at the time right, right now, there, there aren't a whole lot of forwards out there that he has people to pick from. And that's still an issue. Depth is an issue. Um, Garrett Bender, hopefully he's coming along and is going to be an instant pick guy. Matt Hawkins, we've got to say, probably is on the backside of his career right now. Um, but your your yeah. other your other guy is Blaine Scully. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but two two things. Blaine Scully, if he's healthy, is is a guy to put right in there. And the other thing is, in a bit of a surprise for me, Colin Hawley started that last game against Scotland, played the entire game at prop, and I thought was the best player on the on the team. Yeah, I I, I would say that we're a little bit hampered by our selections. And I think we have to be realistic. That, um, there still isn't a whole lot of depth, especially in the pack and our four R sevens team. There aren't a whole lot of decisions to make. There's Sometimes, and with Hawkins and Scully out, I think that they were kind of, you know, Caravelli's hand was forced a little bit this time. But yes, going into Vegas, there are decisions to make, and and I think he will make some of the tough decisions. And, and a guy like, you know, Tyanosa is a guy that can be good for you, very good on offense, but I don't know that he brings a whole lot of spark on either. So it's, we've talked about him too. It's kind of a, a give and take, but there are still faults with with this program and the depth, but at the same time, losing the way they did is just unacceptable. There needs to be more consistency. It can't be the highs and the lowest of lows. You know, it's been, there has to be more consistency. And that goes, that's a top down. It's not just selections. That's a lot of different things. All right. We are, we are getting close to wrapping this up and I want to finish this up. I mean, it's, um, you know, on two things, first of all, uh, next up is Las Vegas for the USA. And if you are a USA fan, go see them, go cheer them on. You can, get behind them and get them to, to, to take down Argentina and Canada. You can get them close to Fiji. You may even push them over the edge. They have beaten Fiji in the past. You can help them. You can be that eighth man, get to Las Vegas next weekend, uh, USA7s.com. Um, I, I, and I want to finish this because I want to ask uh, the, the expert, Bruce McLean, on this topic. And, and, and this is the thing. Kevin Swearin was the best player on the USA 7s team, and then they made him captain, and he got worse. Matt Hawkins was 7s player of the year, and they made him captain, and he got worse. Shalom Suniula was outstanding. Zach Test, 7s player of the year last year. Now they are captain and vice captain, and they're not playing as well as they used to. Does captaincy undermine playing performance, Bruce? And the other thing is... Should you pick your best players as captain or should you pick someone else? And how risky is that in sevens where there's only seven spots? Uh, captain definitely affects your game and it, it affects different people differently. Some people rise to the occasion and thrive, thrive from it. And some people tend to, it, it's like when you have a player coach or something like that, or, they tend to watch what everybody else is doing and worry about what everyone else is doing as opposed to focusing solely on their own game. And in doing that, sometimes it can be detrimental. The other thing is, is that sometimes captains try to take the bull by the horns or take the game by the scruff of the neck and go outside of the game plan and go outside of things. So now not only are you trying to do too much, you're 
your teammates can't rely on where you're going to be because they don't necessarily know what you're going to do. And then, then there starts to be a bit of confusion and then it gets to be helter-skelter and it goes through the entire team. I'm not saying that this is what's happening, but that is something that definitely can happen. And I believe that the captaincy is not a position that you give to your best player. It, and, and I believe that in any sport. The captain has to be a person who will be selected every time, but doesn't have to be the best player. He has to be a, he has to be a definite selection. You can't have I, I don't believe that you should have a captain whose selection is up to is up for discussion. On top of that, that usually what you'll have is you'll have drivers on different areas of the so you don't lay the entire game on the captain. You know, you, you may have a guy who drives the scrum, a guy who drives the line out, a guy who drives the defense, a guy who drives the attack, you know, and those types of things. So everybody kind of has a shared responsibility. I would venture to say that's how it's done at the national team level. But those are the types of things that you can ease the pressure on a captain. And I think that sometimes when you go, hey, look, you know, it, it's, a, it's a game and things happen. And, and unfortunately, Wellington just didn't go our way. I think that we look at going into Vegas and say, okay, let's write the shit, let's play, we know we're better than this, let's play to our capabilities, play within ourselves. Is it fair to to classify Bruce as kind of like maybe the dad that has a daughter and the son, and he's really hard on the son, but he's really easy on the on the daughter, the daughter being the sevens program, and <laughs> the son being the, uh, the, the 15th yeah, program. Yeah, that, that, may, that may be true. Um, I remember some fire and brimstone coming <sighs> around and talking about yeah. the 15th program. Here we go, 0-5 in Wellington, and Bruce is like, ah, it's okay. You'll do better next time. Well, the, 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 other, the other thing is that the, the uh, USA 17 scrum is actually pretty that's true. That, that's actually fair enough. That's a fair enough question. That's a fair enough comment. Uh, one of the things I did want to say, and before before you surprise me with the captaincy question, I, um, I did want to say that part of the reason I think they struggle is that I don't think that there's enough of a – I don't think there's enough of a competition, and I believe that there should be – I, I wish that there were somewhere between 60 and 100 guys down in down in the San Diego area where they kind of played in even an informal tournament or something or invited people around and, and did that. I think that that would be very valuable for those guys. I just I really do think that they need to play rugby. And even if they were to switch teams and just kind of fit with each other, I think that 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 would be more valuable than, than a lot of things um, that are going on. I, I, we do need more sevens players who are playing competitively more often. And, and that's another factor that, that really we don't mention that, you know, there's 10 or 12 guys. Well, 10 or 12 guys can't play against each other. They can play seven on five and which is a good way to drill. But at the end of the day, seven on seven is the game. And, and, and if they're doing that more often and they're, and they're just playing, I think that they would be a lot better. And I, and I and I, th- I wish that there was something there to be able to make that happen. Well, I think that's a great point, and that's a great way to wrap it up. We are we do need more uh, players playing at a high level. Uh, we're going to see a bunch of them at the Las Vegas Invitational. We're going to see uh, some of them obviously playing for the USA in Las Vegas. We don't know who we'll be seeing because I think we're going to see a few personnel changes. But get down to Las Vegas if you haven't bought your tickets. Tickets are going fast. Get some on Friday. There's still some space on Friday, but go to USC7s.com to get information about that. And we wanted to thank Ryan Roundy for uh, stopping in with us and Marty Bradley stopping in with Pat Clifton early on. 
on. And don't forget to check in with Rugger Matrix America and Rugger Matrix International at RuggerMatrix.com. And also in the iTunes store, you can get this show and the Rugger Matrix International show. Don't forget to check out uh, Bruce's very interesting Rugger Matrix coach talk on rugbymag.com and uh, he had a great one with tony smith that was uh and i really enjoyed that because we broke out and talked about attack rugby and that was really fun so for pat clifton and bruce mclean this is alex golf with rugbymag.com saying thanks for listening to rugby matrix america and go usa